have a very interesting lesson here today and one that I have felt very impressed with the Lord to teach. That's what's being handed out to you, and I've got some interesting things to pass along to you here tonight from the Word of the Lord. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, and I want to encourage all of you to bring your Bibles because that's the greatest book in the world, the book. I, uh, there's all kinds of preacher's books that are published. A lot of preachers in not only the 20th century, but even the 19th century that have written books and they have sermons and messages, thoughts and things. They're interesting. I've read so many of them over the years. I remember a number of years ago, I was at one of our general conferences and they have these books on display and I was walking around in the in the area where they sell, where the publishing house presents these books. And I was walking around and I was looking and looking, just trying to pick up on something I had not yet looked at or been reading or been studying or whatever. And I was going around, I was looking at it, and a friend of mine walked up. He, he and I had gone to Bible school together. He walked up to me and he says, what are you looking for, Myers? I said, I'm looking for just something to give me some fresh ideas. He said, I got just a book for you. He took me down over here and turned around a corner, and there's a bunch of Bibles laying there. And he picked up a Bible, and he said, it's right in here. I said, you know what? You're right. You're right. I said, you're absolutely right. It's in the book here. So I found myself going back just to the Bible itself and studying it. God's given me many thoughts over the years in doing that. Now, I'm going to turn, have you turn with me to uh, John 1.17 as a springboard of our thought here. This is how Jesus changed the world. How Jesus changed the world. And uh, I want you to, if you would, look at the scripture with me. It's a very simple verse of scripture. And it simply says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law was given to Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk to you how Jesus changed the world. And uh, there's some very interesting things here. I'm going to start with our very first uh, number one right here. I'm going to read this down and refer to some verses here. Look at this with us, if you would. The name of God given by Moses, I am or Yahweh. Now that word you is, is a mistake on the printing of it, so that should be a Y. If you have your pen, make a Y out of that U. That was, a, that was an error in the typing part of it. The name of our of God given to Moses was I am or Yahweh or Jehovah. Now we talked about that last week, and I'm not going to go into detail on that here tonight only to say that uh, these two names here is how that the, the four letters, tetragamation as they're called, four letters J-H-V-H or J-W-H, J-W-H, how that they were not, uh, you could not pronounce it without the vowels being put in there. When you did that, it changed the whole uh, noun, the, the name of it. And uh, this is why that the Jews just decided to just use the word L-O-R-D, Lord, in all capital letters to designate the name of God. 
because they felt like it was not to be spoken. And so, <clears throat> but the I am Yahweh or Jehovah, whatever name we want to use here, is what God gave unto Moses. Uh, and the Lord gave this name. He denoted God's power to deliver his people out of any and all conditions. Now, this was in the third chapter of Exodus. I'm going to have you go to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 3 is where the Lord spoke to Moses and said, My name. So what's, what can I tell Israel is your name? He said, My name is I am that I am. We covered that last week. Now, further on, as God is still talking to Moses out of the burning bush, has told him to take his shoes off your own holy ground. As all of this is going on in the fourth chapter, look what happens here in the fourth chapter. 4-1, if you look at this verse of Scripture with me. And Moses answered and said, But, behold, they will not believe me, speaking of the children of Israel, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. That's what those Jews that I'll go to and tell them, The Lord has sent me to tell you that we are to leave Egypt and go to Canaan's land. And they won't, they won't listen. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. Now, a rod is what a shepherd carries. It's a, they got a, a staff is long and got a hook so they can reach out and hook a lamb and pull him back into the fold. But a rod is a stick that's about like this cane I got here. And they carry it and they'll whack anything that gets in their way that tries to attack the lamb. They'll whack them with that, that stick that they've gotten. It's called a rod. So the Lord here said to him, what's in thine hand? And he said, a rod. Now, look what the Lord said in the third verse, and he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. The rod became a serpent. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth now thine hand, and take it by the tail. So Moses eases up on that snake and grabs him by the tail, and whenever he does... Verse, the middle of fourth verse, and he put forth his hand and caught it, caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. And he went, <laughs> Now, look at verse 6. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. Put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, as snow, it was white, full of leprosy. And he's, yike, ah, I got leprosy, I got leprosy. And then he said unto him, put now, verse 7, put thy hand in thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. Oh. Now, this is what he was telling him. I will change things to deliver my people. Now, take note of what I'm going to tell you here. Nowhere in the book of Genesis was there ever a book that was there ever a miracle. No place in the book of Genesis. No miracles. God never did a miracle until he gave him the name I am. The only miracle that we could possibly maybe size up or shape up in Genesis was the birth of Isaac being born of parents who were very old. But, of course, people lived for long, long periods of time back in those days, in back in the early part of Genesis. You know that. 
So as far as Isaac, as far as a baby born out of due season, or his mother was 90 years old, his father was 99 years old whenever he was born, or 100 years old. Now, I'm only telling you all of that to tell you that when God said to him, my name is I am that I am, it meant that God was saying to him, I am also your deliverer. And you're telling me that the people are not going to listen. I'm telling you they're going to listen because I will do miracles to deliver them. And this is when God began to do miracles. From that point on, he began to change things. He sent ten plagues into Egypt. So they finally let Israel go. And when Israel came out, they came out by the Red Sea. And they stood there. And the Egyptians the Egyptians decided to come after them. And anyhow, and bring them all back to Egypt again. Said, why do we let all these people go? They were real good slaves for us. And they were their servants. And while they were coming... Moses said, now, Lord, what are we going to do? And he said, stretch forth your rod over the sea. You know the story. He stretched forth his rod, and the sea rolled back on both sides, and they walked across on dry ground. A miracle. Later on, on the other side, he smote a rock. He spoke to a rock, and a rock brought forth water out of the rock. So I'm only telling you all of these kind of things to let you know that God began to perform miracles by that name. Praise the Lord. And this was the beginning of the miracles in the Bible is whenever the Lord gave him that name and then finally said, listen, you do what I tell you to do and I'm going to perform. Now, I'm going to say one word here and we'll move on into our lesson here. God is able to do miracles in your life and mine to bring us deliverance. That's why when somebody says I can't get saved, I can't live for God because I can't give up drugs. Don't tell me that. I've seen miracles. I've seen God take drugs out of people's lives just like that. I've seen him take the t- tobacco habit just like that out of, their, out of their hearts. And no more desire for it. I've seen him take away all kinds of, of, of desires and, and past lives and wickedness and everything else. And I remember one guy said he couldn't live without going to his nightclub and everything. Got saved. He threw all that stuff away, and God gave him a better life, and he said, it's the best life I've ever found in my life. Because God can do anything. Praise God. He can change things. So I'm going to move on here now. And so there were no miracles before he gave him that name. Now go to number two here. I've got a lot of things to give you here. When Jesus came, he came as a personal savior, not a savior for a nation like he did for Israel. I'm going to bring Israel out of Egypt, bring them into Canaan's land. And I'll be, uh, I'll be a personal, I will be a, a, a savior for Israel. He became a personal savior to each of us, to each one of us individually, to save us out of our sin, to save us out of our sin. Now, Here's where the rubber meets the road. To save us out of our sins. To the Jew first, and then I got some scriptures here, and to the Jew, and then to the Gentiles. Now, when I say here to save us out of our sins, let me give you a couple of scriptures. Then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this. Look at Matthew 121. This is one that we used last week as well. Matthew 121. And it simply says, and speaking of, uh, of Mary bringing forth a child, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, 
remember, Jesus says, I am, that becomes salvation, or his Savior. His name should be called Jesus, for he shall save his people, his people, that's the Jews now, from their sins, from their sins. This is why he came, to save them from their sins. Praise the Lord. And uh, if you look also in Acts 5 and 31, Acts 5, 31. This is what it says here in Acts 5, 31. Now, you don't have that in your Bible here. You don't have it. I just, uh, anyhow, Acts 5, thank you. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. This is Peter preaching. And uh, he is preaching here about Jesus. Him, Jesus, hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now, two places here where it talks about the Lord giving forgiveness of sins and bringing deliverance from sins. This is why the Jews as a nation rejected Jesus. Because they felt like that was not what they wanted or needed. What they wanted, they wanted a Messiah to come and deliver them from the Roman Empire that was over them. They were subject to the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had set up, you know, a sort of a governor there, like Pilate, for instance, is what he was, or one that would follow him. And these men would oversee Israel and say, now, as long as you pay your taxes and you obey the laws and you get along good, everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. You will be swimming. And the Jews wanted a Messiah to come and say, hey, God, strap on your sword. Get your spear in your hand. We're going to run the, the we're going to run the the Romans out of here. We're going to get our country back because this is what this is all about. We want our our we want our country back. They did not know that Jesus had come to bring them deliverance from sin, not from Rome. You understand what I'm saying? And Jesus came to deliver them from their sins. And so all through the Bible in the New Testament, when Jesus was teaching, they were constantly trying to get him. They'd say, uh, is it, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Should we pay taxes to Julius Caesar? You know, Caesar was the, was the head of Rome. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? You know, in other words, they were trying to say, we shouldn't be subject to Caesar. You're the, you're a, say you're a Messiah, and we, we don't have to pay taxes, do we? And he said, who's, give me a, give me a coin. They gave him a coin. He said, whose image is on this coin? They said, Caesar's. He said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You spend their money, you use their money, and you use that with a picture on it. And he's rendered to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God's. And boy, they scratched their head and walked away and said, man, we don't know how to handle that one. He was constantly uh, just fouling them up and all the things that they were coming at him. But they wanted him to be a Messiah who would overthrow the Romans and not try to tell them they had sins. So I'm going to talk to you about these points here about the sin part. Look in, uh, look in Matthew 10, 5, 10, 5. I think it's Matthew 10, 5. These 12 went forth and commanded them, saying, Go not unto the ways of the Gentile. This is Jesus speaking now, and he sent 12 out, his 12 disciples out to, to minister to the people. 
These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, not the Gentiles yet, and unto any city of the Samaritans. Don't go to them. He didn't say it yet, but he, that's what he was referring to. Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this was Jesus' first commission was for them to reach out to the Jews, the Jews first and then the Gentiles, the Jews first. So he said, now I want you to go and I want you to reach out to these Jews and see if you can bring them to the Lord. Now, let me give you another verse of scripture. This is Matthew 15, 24, Matthew 15, 24. And he says here, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is the story about the Syrophoenician woman who uh, asked the Lord to heal her daughter. And he says, is it right to take the bread from the children's table and throw it to the dogs? He says, she says, no, but the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. Oh, my, what a terrible thing to say to that poor lady. It sounds like. And then when she, re when she replied what she did the way she did, Jesus said, I have not seen faith. No, not in Israel. Go, your child is healed. Praise the Lord. She was a Gentile at that point. But he was trying to say here that he had been sent to the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel at that point, at that point. So the Jews constantly was hearing Jesus talk about their sins. They didn't like hearing about their sins. Uh, look, in, uh, we're going to have you go to Mark 16 because this is a scripture that talks about the Lord now saying we're going to start giving the gospel to the uh, 1646 in the next this is then to the Gentiles I'm sorry to the Jew first then to the Gentiles all right I want to go to Luke. I guess Luke's what I was wanting to go to. I'm sorry. Mark, Luke. Yeah, I'm sorry. All right. I'm looking at Luke chapter 24 and verse 46. Then to the Gentiles here. Look at this very closely now. Stay with me on this. <laughs> And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins, this is Jesus speaking now, that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. Now it's changing. The reason is because the resurrection has happened. Jesus was crucified. The Jews rejected him. And as a nation, that is, not as individuals, but as a nation, they rejected him. And now he's turning to the Gentiles. It's time for him now to ascend into heaven. And he said to them, Thus is written, and thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Verse 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So it would begin with the Jews, but it would be go from there then into all the Gentiles. Now go to Matthew 28, 19. This is a familiar verse of scripture with us here. 
Matthew 28:19. This is where Jesus, likewise, this is the call the Great Commission. It's another uh, rendition here of the Lord fixing to go to heaven, and He's talking to His disciples, and He says to them, in verse 19: "Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name." Now notice the word name here. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you always, folks. If you don't have if you don't have that underlined, underline it in your Bible. I will be with you always. He will never leave you, even unto the end of the world. Now I'm going to go back to this word name here, where he says baptizing in the name of the Father. Some, there are some people who believe you should baptize like I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost and bring you back up. I've even known people who say I now baptize you in the name of the Father, zoop, name of the Son, zoop, name of the Holy Ghost, zoop, like that. That's the way they say it. But that's not what it refers to because everywhere the apostles baptize, they always baptize in the name of Jesus. Now, if you have your Bibles there, mark in your Bible, look at Acts 4.12. Right in the margin of your Bible, mark it. Look at 4.12 here. Neither is our salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. No other name. And he's talking about the name of Jesus here, talking about Jesus himself. There's no other name by which we may be saved. So we have to have that name of Jesus, praise the Lord, to put upon us. Amen. Also look in Isaiah 9.6. This is a very interesting. This is coming out of Isaiah. And this is in the Old Testament, Isaiah nine six. And this is a prophecy of the birth of Christ. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's speaking of Jesus, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's right, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So everything, we know that Jesus was called the Prince of Peace, but some people says, well, no, he's not the mighty God or the everlasting Father. Oh, well, the mighty God is the everlasting Father. The everlasting Father is the mighty God. Why does it say both? Mighty God means he created all the universe, everything. All the heavens, all the earth, everything you see, he created. The everlasting Father is that he created all life. He gave life to everything that exists that has life, he gave it. It all came from God. Praise the Lord. So whether you want to say he's the mighty God that created the universe, everything out there, hey, folks, there's, there, there's nothing out there. I mean, somebody's always looking, telescope, maybe we can see another life coming. No, no, no. There's nothing else out there. Praise the Lord, except the angels and God in heaven. Praise the Lord. Say praise the Lord. And then, of course, the everlasting Father is that, He's, he gives life to everything. We have our life, our breath, our strength. We have our existence because God has given it to us. Praise the Lord. Well, I won't go any further than that. Only to say that these scriptures here let us know that, and this is in Matthew 28, 19. Now, I'm going to go to one more here. I want you to look at Mark 16, 15. Mark 16, 15 with me. This is the same uh great commission that Jesus was giving to the disciples, and this is Mark's rendition of it. He says here in 16, I'm starting with verse 15, and he said unto them, 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Look at that. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Some people say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The Bible here says, believe and be baptized. It doesn't say, believe and don't be baptized and you shall be saved. It says, believe and be baptized. Everybody, you pick up, did you catch on, catch that one? That went by fast. You got to be, repent and be baptized to be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. Look at this now. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Oh, well, they're already talking about tongues here. Now, the word tongues comes from the Greek word glossolalia. Speaking in tongues is glossolalia. That's the Greek word for it. And it means speaking in a different language. Speaking in a different language. So Jesus is saying here that whenever people believe and they're baptized and they turn to God, God is going to give them the Holy Ghost and they're going to speak in a different language. Praise the Lord. It's right here in the book, you know. And uh, I uh, want you to look at Isaiah 28, 15 with me for a minute. 28, 15. Look at this. Isaiah 28, 15 and verse 16. I'm going to read two verses here. Because you have said we have made a covenant of death and hell are generated when the overflowing skirt shall pass, though it shall come upon us, for we have made a lies of refuge and under falsehood that we... That's not the right one. I'm sorry, 2811. I, I'm sorry. I got the wrong verse. 2811. Thank you. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Everybody see that? Stammering lips another tongue when he speaks to this people. Look at the next verse. To whom he said, this is the rest. Speaking of the Holy Ghost that's coming. Wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. Speaking of the Jews' rejection of the outpouring of the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. Whenever the Lord had those Galileans all speaking in different languages. Sixteen different languages they were speaking in when they got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because when you receive the Holy Ghost, you speak in a different language. It's a different language. Praise the Lord. So this is a scripture here that's a prophecy of those things that would happen, everything. Praise the Lord. Go back to verse 11 a minute. For with stammering lips another tongue when he speaks to this people. I had a guy one time tell me, oh, this is talking about the Babylonians conquering Israel. They're conquering Israel, and there's going to be a different language talking to them, and it'll be the... It'll be the Babylonian language. That's what that's referring to. He was telling me. I said, oh, really? Look at the 12th verse saying to whom he said, this is the rest. (laughs) The Babylonians are are capturing them and bringing them into bondage and making slaves out of them. And they're saying, hey, God, this is the rest. Wherewith you may call to weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. No way. No, no. This is a prophecy of the baptism of the Holy Ghost when it would be poured out. And I don't have to tell you, it's all through the Bible in the New Testament. Acts 2, 4, they received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. As I said, there were 16, there were Galileans there, and they spoke in 16 different languages. And the Jews that were there for the day of Pentecost heard them speaking in the language that they understood back home. They knew the, they knew the, uh, the Hebrew, that wasn't the Hebrew language, the Aramaic, actually. Aramaic language of the New Testament. They knew that language, but they also knew that language of the country that they lived in. 
because they didn't all live in Palestine. They were scattered all around over through Europe. And so they heard them speaking in these other languages. They said, how do these Galileans, how can they do that? And they learned, but it was God's testimony to them that, that yet they would not hear because they said, no, this is not for us. We don't know what, we're not, we're not going to get, we're not going to follow Jesus and all these kind of things. The rejection of Jesus is saving the world. Praise the Lord. So, but tongues, praise the Lord, was that gift that God gave them and called glossolalia and everything. God has used that. Uh, it, it acts, uh, I mentioned 2 4, Acts uh, 10 46. Acts 10 46. It speaks about Cornelius and his household all receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, well, I guess Acts 10 46. Okay, I guess I got them on the ropes up there. There it is. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water? They should not be baptized. Said, well, I'm quoting there what you don't see. Yeah, can any man forbid water? That's 47. Now, then they were in 48, they were baptized in Jesus' name. I won't go into that. But look at 19.6, Acts 19.6. This is where Paul found those people at Ephesus. And, uh, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Prophesied means that they spoke out with dynamic, with with an unction, with, speaking with unction, prophecy here. So I'm just telling, trying to tell you here that they spoke in a different language. It's all in the Bible, it's in the New Testament. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 is all about the gifts, and it talks about the gift of tongues and how God uses it. We know how they, it's used in our church and so forth. But God uses that, and the people speak with different language. Uh, I remember years ago, I was a student at the Apostolic Bible Institute in St. Paul, and uh, we'd been praying up there. The guys would pray on one side of the church and girls on the other side. And uh, and there was a girl, we got gotten through praying with the guys, and we were sitting on the first pews. And there was a girl that had prayed through to the Holy Ghost and was speaking in tongues. And we were all just sitting there relaxing after everybody had been praying for quite a while. And she was just worshiping, praising, talking to God in tongues. And a guy came down and sat down beside me and he said, How long has that girl been out of the Eskimo country? And I said, I don't think she's ever been in the Eskimo country. Oh, no, no, no. He says, she's been, she's had, she has had to have lived years in the Eskimo country. I said, why? Because she is, he says she's speaking fluent Eskimo language. Fluent. You can't speak that fluent unless you have been living there among those people for some time. And I said, really? I said, she, I, she's from Louisiana. I know that. She's from Louisiana. And, and she's just a girl in college. And, and uh, I don't think she's ever been any further north than St. Paul. No, no, no. I said, so I went and got the pastor, and the pastor said, and explained to him, because the pastor, and of course we did too, understood the girl was speaking in the Eskimo language, and it was a witness to him that it was for him to understand that this was for him and that this was of God. This was of God. Praise the Lord. We had a case in, the, in our old church before we built this new one over there in the old church where there was a... There was some people, we, I had preached a message, people came down the altar and people was praying there. And this one sister was down there praying. She was, uh, she was, uh, uh, she was an African-American lady. 
And she was just praising God and worshiping Jesus and just having a great... I said, yes, praise the Lord. And I was cheering her on. And a Haitian lady, one of the Haitian sisters, came up to me and grabbed me by the arm and said, Brother Myers, this woman is Haitian. I said, well, praise God. She's worshiping the Lord. No, no, she doesn't know English. She's just come from Haiti, and she doesn't know English. And she's down here praying, and she was praying in Haitian in the Haitian language, and all of a sudden she started speaking pure English and she was worshiping God, just like you and I would be talking. I said, really? She said, she's talking in tongues. And when she finished, got all through, she couldn't say a word English anymore. That was it. (laughs) Spoken English, that was a testimony to me. I'm just telling that God does amazing things, but tongues is a language in another you know, it could, it, I don't know if it's a, even a dead language or wherever, some foreign country. I remember my daughter received the baptism of the Holy Ghost when she was a, a little girl. And I remember for about an hour or an hour and a half, she talked in tongues. And it was some kind of Chinese dialect. I could tell a ding-a-ling, ding type of a dialect like the Chinese. If anybody here is Chinese, don't be offended. I'm, you know, I'm not, I just don't know the language. But anyhow, they were, they were, she was talking in some kind of a Chinese, apparently she was. Praise the Lord. I had a friend named uh, James Wood, and he was a missionary to Iran. He'd been over there under the Shah and had a lot of liberty to preach the gospel and had built a great work in, 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 that, in that country, had many churches established. He and I had gone to Bible school together, and uh, <coughs> he had had, excuse me, <coughs> home on deputation and uh he called me and said uh, i'd be with you on a wednesday night and i made arrangements to have him on a wednesday night to uh uh to preach for us on sunday he had been in milton florida and uh he called me on monday and he said brother myers i'm not going to be able to be with you on tuesday night in your church service but i'm coming through melbourne palm bay and i want to have lunch dinner with you and i want to talk to you i said okay so he came by and so we sit down and just talked together long time friends this guy i've known for many years we talked about things happening in iran so forth and he says the reason i wanted i did not i've changed not am not going to preach for you tomorrow is because i have to get back to iran now when i was in milton florida it's just east of pensacola I was in that church there on Sunday night. There was a message in tongues and interpretation that came forth, and it was in the Iranian language. And he said there was two parts to the message. The first part was to the church. The second part was to me. And he said, I heard everything that was being said, and then I listened and I heard the interpretation come behind it. And the interpretation was perfect, exact, as the message in Iranian and I, I knew that that lady, who had probably never been out of West Florida in her life, did not know the Iranian language, especially speaking it so fluently. And he says, then whenever the message she had given the interpretation, she quit. But the rest of the message that I had that received in the Iranian language was for me. And it was the Lord telling me to get back to Iran because that was going to be a major change in Iran and I needed to get my family and establish the church and get it set in order and get out of Iran. 
And he said, I, I'm on my way. I'm on my way to Miami. I got to catch a plane. I got to get, get back over there. His wife and his children were over there and everything. He got back, folks. He got back to Iran, set all of his churches in order. And the, the Ayatollah Khomeini took over right to the Shah. The Shah was run out. The Ayatollah Khomeini took over. And all of a sudden, he was anti-all Christian, just like that. And they had to get out, and they set the church in order. And so the Iranian church had pastors and leaders under the Iranian people. And then he got his people, and he got out, and he got out. But God had spoken to him through a message in tongues because it was a language. I'm only saying that, praise the Lord, because I'm just saying that tongues is a, is a language that God, it could be a language from anywhere. And God, I can tell you other stories. There's other stories like that. Uh, missionaries that have experienced it in uh, South Africa uh, down there, and they've heard people speaking in English, and they knew they did not know any they, the, 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 uh, the people there did not know English in the, in the bush country. Well, let me move on here. God bless you here. I'm just pointing out these things here. So the gospel was for the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. Let me move on here to uh, number three here. Praise God. Through Jesus Christ, the love of God and his power was slash is. Now, you don't have the slash, but I'm adding that. Through Jesus Christ, the love of God and his power was slash is manifested to the world and continued through his disciples. Now, stay with me very closely here. Look at John 13, 34. Look at John 13, 34. Praise God. He says, a new commandment I give you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples now before he even went to Calvary. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. One is love for another, one, and this is a love to another. That means it's to be displayed. Now, let me say one thing, folks. This is how Jesus changed the world. He brought the love of God into this world. And those Pharisees, those Pharisees Sadducees, all of them, because they wanted the Lord to come in a different fashion to overthrow the Roman Empire, they did not understand the love that he brought because Jesus had brought a powerful element into the world that could change the world like nothing else could. When Jesus, they came to take him, to crucify him, Peter pulled a sword out. Jesus said, put away your sword. He that lives by the sword dies by the sword. This is not what this is all about. But I'm trying to teach that the power of the love of God. Now, let me just say this to us here tonight. This is how Jesus changed the world, and this is how his disciples changed the world, folks, was displaying the love of God Almighty to people. Jesus, you know, as you know, showed love to the woman caught in adultery, thrown at his feet. So he just passed on him, cast another. The Gadarean demoniac showed love to that man. Amen. Saved his life, saved his family, saved his home, saved everything. Praise the Lord. I'm just trying to say here, everywhere Jesus went, he displayed this love for people. 
and his love for everybody. It was Jews first and then later on would be Gentiles. When the apostles went forth and when Paul went forth, he knew that it was going to have to be with love. And I'm telling you here today, it hasn't changed. The most powerful thing the church has today is our love for the world. Not the love for the world spirit, but the love for people that are out there that need to be saved. To, to reach out to them, to help them to find the Lord. Remember that somebody's in the quicksand, you don't get in the quicksand with them to save them. You, you stay on solid ground, you, but you try to reach out something out there so they can come in. Somebody's drowning, you throw a life, a life preserver to them and pull them in. You don't try to go out there yourself. I'm just trying to say you don't get in the world to save people in the world. But the love for the people who are out there, our friends, our family members, our neighbors, everyone, folks, we've got to have the love of God in our hearts. Praise the Lord. And that's why Jesus, that's how Jesus changed the whole world. Praise the Lord. It was the greatest thing that he ever brought was the love of God. So he manifested the world through his disciples. The Lord brought this love. Look at John 13, 34 with me. John 13. Praise God. 13, 34. Jesus. This is one I was going to read a while ago and I had the wrong scripture. A new commandment I give unto you that you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another, but... Uh, this shall all men know that you have loved one for another. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Praise God. All right. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. The word charity means love, is love. It's what it means. The whole 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians is all about the love of God. And I might just add this for what it's worth. That 12th chapter is about the gifts of the Spirit. It names nine of them. Gift of, uh, it, I won't go into details on that. That's a study within itself. But then he went on to say here in the 13th chapter, but I show you a more perfect way. We may not have the gifts of the Spirit, but if we got the love of God in our hearts, folks. It's the most powerful thing we have. That's why he says in 13.1, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, charity is the love of God, which is agape. Agape is the, is the Greek word for it. Agape, the love of God. Have they, it doesn't mean love for your wife. It doesn't mean love for your children. It doesn't mean just love for other people. It means love of God in your heart. So he goes on to say here, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am becoming a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And he goes on to talk about how important it is for us to have the love of God in our heart above everything else. Above everything else. Finally, he concludes in verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, and the love of God, or agape, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity, the love of God. The greatest thing we can have is to have the love of God in our hearts. It's, it's, it supersedes everything. So the Lord's trying to tell us how important it is for us to have that love in our hearts. Praise the Lord. Uh, if I'll have you look at uh, Romans, Romans uh, two eight, I believe is right. Romans two eight. Okay, I'm going. To, where is it? I lost it. I don't know where it is. 
Well, anyhow, Romans 2.8. Oh, here it is. All right. All right. Look in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. This is how God has brought it to the Jews. Not only is the the power of God, but also the condemnation and judgments of God. Verse 8. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the, uh, the, the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish, and unto every soul of man that doth evil, and the Jew first also to the Gentiles. But glory, honor, peace to every man that worketh good, and to the Jew first, and also to the Gentiles. This is telling us how that God has ordained it first to the Jew and then to the Jew. Now, I'm going to go very quick. What's the greatest commandment of all? Matthew 22, 34. Matthew 22, 34. Praise God. I'm trying to get there, folks. My time is running out. All right. Look at 34. When the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered together, and one of them said to the lawyer unto him, question tempting him, saying, Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Verse 36. Verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now notice that. First and great commandment. They were asking him about the Ten Commandments. In verse 39, then he added this, and the second is like unto this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Then verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Think about it now. All the law of the Old Testament God gave to Moses. I think there's, I think there's 613 of them, right? remember somebody recording that somewhere 613 of these laws of the old testament and every one of them hang on two things to love god with all your heart mind soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself to love god this way that's that's calvary love god this way love your neighbor this way praise the lord the love of god we love him he loves us the love of god in us the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Ghost. And that love of God that's put in our hearts by the Holy Ghost causes us to love people around us and everybody. It'll, it'll cause you to love people that you didn't always care for or didn't like. or It'll cause you to like them. Praise the Lord. It'll cause you to love your neighbor. It has a powerful effect. And the Bible goes on to tell us that we should love our Brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, I'm going to, here's another verse of scripture here found in Matthew, and this is one found in, uh, in 15, 16. Jesus said, are you also yet without understanding? Do you not understand that whatsoever entereth into the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come 
forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemy. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defile not the man. He was, they had gotten on to Jesus about eating with unwashed hands. I'm only pointing out to you here that it's those things in the heart, folks. That's why it's important for us to have our hearts right with God. Praise the Lord. And if we can get God's love into our heart and say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins and transgressions, God. Let me baptize in your name, wash away all my sins, and then fill me with your spirit and put that love in my heart and that goodness of God in my heart and give me that personal salvation. Folks, it's the greatest thing in this world. Praise the Lord. And uh, I received it when I was 16 years old. And I'm uh, this next July, I think Pastor's already said I'll be 87 years old. He's already announced it. 87 years old, July 13th, my birthday. And I'm just trying to say here today that God is so good. And I've never yet, praise the Lord, found anything better in this old world than living for God, walking with him, serving him, and all the wonderful things. And God's people. Oh, what a wonderful crowd of people to be with. What wonderful people just to rub shoulders with, to, to bump elbows with, to tap fists with, and shake hands with. What a wonderful crowd to just to be around. God's wonderful people because we have the Spirit of God in us and everything else. Um, one other verse of Scripture here. Got a few more minutes. Go to, we talked about this last week, just, but I'm going to talk from a different angle. Look in John 21 and 15, and I'm coming down to an end here. John 21, 15, this is when the fishermen were fishing. John, Peter went fishing and the disciples went with him. Jesus was resurrected, but they didn't know where he was, hadn't seen him for a while. And so Peter said, I go fishing. They said, we go with thee. Fished all night, caught no fish. He told them to cast them fish. Cast their net on the other side. They caught more fish and they could pull in hardly. 153, we talked about it last week. Now, when they finally got to shore and they had eaten, look at verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Look at that. Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Lord, thou knowest thou lovest thee. And he's feed my sheep, lambs, brother. Verse 16, he saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said to him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said to him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him, The third time, Simon, the son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said, The third time, lovest thou me? And he said to him, Thou knowest all things that feed my sheep. He said, Feed my sheep. Now, I want to refer back to one verse in chapter, verse 15. And when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Peter, Simon, the son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Uh, years ago, when I... I lived in Miami. I was to go back to school, and I didn't go back to school and because I wanted to work and make a lot of money and just save up and just have a lot of pretty good things. And I was down praying before it was almost time to go back to school. And I'd taken a job working for God and making good money and all that kind of stuff, and I didn't want to go back to school poor. I wanted to get some money in my pocket before I went back. Really, you know, I was down praying. And when I was praying, I felt like the Lord was doing like this to me. I'm not listening to anything you've got to say. I felt like God was doing that to me. I, I could feel it. I said, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, lovest thou me more than these? 
And I said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. And the Lord spoke to my heart, not audibly, but to my heart, those words. And I knew I had to go back to school. In just a few days, the Lord worked out every situation I had so I could do it, and it happened. Years later, this this happened only about uh, maybe uh, eight, ten years, about eight years ago. I was asked to go down and preach an anniversary service to Brother Hattaball in the Miami Church, and also for Sister Rooks. Brother Rooks had already passed away. And I was going to go down there and preach an anniversary service for both of them, Sister Rooks's. They had passed the church along to Brother Hattabaugh. And I remember reading this verse of scripture in my motel room in the afternoon. I'd preached that morning, and now I had to preach that night. And I read this verse of scripture, and I said, Lord, this is the verse that you gave me many years ago when I was a young man here in Miami. And I was just reading it. And I read that verse, and I said, Lovest thou me more than these? I said, Six one way or half another the other. They said, does that mean I have to love God more than? And I said, no, no, wait a minute. There's only one way that you can interpret this. Jesus said to his disciples and said to Peter, and listen closely to me. Lovest thou me more than these? Not lovest thou these more than me. He didn't say that. That's what I was thinking that he had said. Lovest thou these more than me? If all Peter would have had to say, no, Lord, I don't love these more than you. That means I love you and them on the same level. Do you understand what I'm saying? But when the Lord reversed it, when he didn't reverse it, when he said it this way, lovest thou me more? And I'm saying this to all of us here today. God wants us to love him more than all of these things in this whole world, folks. Everything you can think of. Everything out there, anything that's got a hold of your heart, anything you love or you're just preoccupied with or you feel like is so great or so important in your life, don't love it more than you love Jesus. And that's what Jesus was saying to Peter. And whenever I, in that hotel room, when I realized there's only one way you can assume that, I said, oh, my Lord. This is the way that I have to be. I have to love you more than these things. That's why Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you more than all these things. Not just equally. I'm not loving anything. He didn't say, are are you loving anything more than me? Do you love me equally as well as everything else? No, no. I want you to love me more than all these things. And Peter said, yes, Lord. I'm just trying to tell you here today, folks, that God is so good. And, of course, the last one here is, Thou hast left thy first love. And that's what the Lord said in Revelations 2, 4 to the Ephesian church after they had been serving the Lord for some time. And he said, now, but you've got one thing against you. You've left your first love, folks. Don't lose and leave your first love with God. Jesus is the best friend we'll ever have. Individually, personally, or every one of us, he has been, he's our personal, individual friend. And don't ever lose that. Don't ever let that go. Praise the Lord. Okay, that's our first love is for him. Let's stand together and give God the praise and the glory and thank him for his goodness and blessings here tonight. Praise the Lord. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We love you for your goodness, for your blessings, for your kindness, your mercy. You're so good to your people. You're so good to all of us, God. You're so good to your church. 
We ask you to go with us here at this time as we leave this place. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the Spirit of God. Thank you for truth. God, we thank you, Lord, that you love us so much, God, that you care about us, and we give you the praise and glory for all things in Jesus' name. Amen.